0: Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast, Season 6, Episode 18.
1: You got to be a great communicator. You got to be able to get down on the player's level and speak to him or her in a manner that they understand it. And then you got to be able to motivate that young man or that young woman to do what it is that you want them to do.
0: This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know, but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast. I'm Eric McMahon. Today, we're joined by Tommy Moffitt. He was our keynote presenter at National Conference in New Orleans. Tommy, thanks for being with us.
1: Thank you very much, Eric. Uh, again, it's a pleasure uh, to be here and uh, and uh, working for the NSCA today, so I'm
0: excited. Nice. Yeah, it was uh, it was great catching up a few weeks back in New Orleans. You're, uh, you're neck of the woods there. I know you, uh, you're always dealing with uh, some crazy weather. We were just talking about that off air, just a uh, uh, hot, humid part of the country. We're here in Colorado Springs on top of the, you know, in the Rockies, six, seven thousand feet up. And I know for for all our staff and everybody going out there, it's definitely a change of uh, change of humidity and weather. And uh, but that's what you're used to.
1: Yeah, we we just got back from a vacation in Tennessee and uh, it was beautiful up there. And you know it, it was it would get hot during the day, but the humidity just isn't what it is here. Uh, you kind of wear our weather on your back like a article of clothing when you go outside. Uh, it it's uh, sometimes it can be pretty tough, but uh, yeah, we've got some weather going on today, but hopefully everything is fine and we make it through this podcast.
0: Yeah, so at your keynote, you were basically taking us through your 34 year coaching career, 22 years at LSU with the football program. And, uh, you know, I know you get asked this a lot, you know, what, what does it take to be at one institution so long? And and that's something that you really uh, got into during your keynote, just lessons learned along the way. Take us through some of the key points that you, uh, you shared with the audience.
1: Yeah. So um, I think, you know, of all the things that uh, helped me stay here as long as it was, was hiring great assistant strength coaches. Um, that's probably uh, the most important thing uh, for, for anyone, whether you're a football coach or strength coach or baseball coach, you gotta surround yourself with people um, that are better coaches than you, people that are smarter than you, and then uh, put them in position where they can do their job. And um, that was something that was always important to me. And I was always looking for, you know, guys that were younger than I was, um, um, people that had had different experiences uh, than I had had. Uh, I felt that if uh, I hired everyone to be like me, then uh, we would be very shallow as a staff. So I tried to get people from uh, different backgrounds, people that had had different experiences for me, uh, people that had been coached by really good coaches. I think that's important. And um, I don't necessarily think that you have to be a collegiate athlete uh, to be a collegiate strength coach. I think it helps. But I think you have to have people uh, or it helps to have people that were coached by great coaches, uh, uh, because they're able to, you know, uh, share a lot of experiences, uh, with the student athletes that, you know, that were similar to some of the things that they, uh, had happened while they were competing and, and, and how they got along with their coaches. And so that's probably the most important thing. And then, uh, except for that you know the golden rule doing to others as you would have them do unto you and just you know we always tried to treat everyone fair, uh, give everyone an opportunity to say what was on their mind and and I'm talking about the student athletes you know uh, I learned a long time ago that uh, the athletes don't always like it as much as we do as staff members. and uh, You know, they came to LSU, the majority of the, in my career, you know, I work primarily with football and I've done track and field and some other sports, but, uh, they came on a football scholarship. They didn't come on a weightlifting scholarship or a running scholarship. They came to play football, but they ended up spending the majority of their time in the weight room with me. So I thought, uh, that it was important early on to develop a relationship and treat the young men and the young women, uh, you know, in a manner that I want, that I would want to be treated myself.
0: You touch on a lot of points there working with, with young coaches. and I want to ask you some of those things on the mentorship side. Uh, You know, one thing you, you mentioned was you're bringing in elite football players and that's what they are. And they're not there because of their training age or their, their experience in the weight room. Do you think that's a common misconception that, that strength coaches have to work through is that by being a great athlete, you know, the expectation is they're going to be in the weight room. You know, what was your experience with that? And how did you progress players through their four years so that they did develop a, a strong training age? Yeah.
1: So, and you know, that, that is huge, uh, especially because you're bringing kids in from, from everywhere, you know, they're not just you're not just bringing in kids from Louisiana. You're bringing kids in from all over the country. And so and they're all different. Every one of them was different. And so what we tried to do early on in their career is not put them in a position where uh, that they, in the weight room, we didn't want to put them in a position where they had to compete with the older players. Uh, we always separated our young players from the older guys Um, and we took them through a developmental process that for many continued until December. So if a guy came in June, or even if a guy came in January, was an early enrollee, he would stay in that developmental process uh, until we felt confident um, that he was ready to start training with the older guys. And then you know, I touched on this a little bit at the conference. There's, there's always the 5% rule, 5% of the guys, you know, are game ready and uh, Leonard Fournette physically and mentally, you know, he was ready to play. He, in the NFL, when he came to us, he was 18 years old and he looked like a grown man. And so 5% of those guys are probably able to compete with those older guys, but the other guys just aren't. So, Kept them separate. Uh, They were on a totally different uh, schedule. Uh, The only time that they were around the players uh, in the weight room was when we started in-season training. Um, And because of class schedules and practice schedules in the afternoon, they had to be in that group, but they still uh, trained differently than the other guys. Um, And then some of those Uh, would be mainstreamed at some point, you know, when we felt like, you know, they had caught up with where they were supposed to be technique-wise, strength-wise, then we would mainstream them. But we tried to keep those guys separate as long as we could. Uh, And, again, uh, technique was was critical, you know, making sure that they could execute all the exercises that we were going to have them do. Uh, And then we learned through that process a lot about them, too, Uh, how they responded to coaching, how well they concentrated. And in our type of program, you know, where you're primarily doing the, you know, the Olympic lifts or some part of one of those Olympic lifts, you have to be able to focus and concentrate. So you find out which one of those guys or, or even which of the women can't focus and can't pay attention long enough to learn how to do a particular exercise and you know we had very specific barbell warm-ups that we we're supposed to do each day and there were some some people that, that would continue after months saying you know what what warm-up do we have today and so those guys uh, required extra extra effort and uh, I think through that process of developing trust and them knowing that we were just not going to pile a bunch of weight on the bar um, and have them start, you know, maxing in squats and stuff. I think that developed trust. Uh, and they learned, you know, for a lot of people, high school training is not mandatory but you know at LSU everything was mandatory and there wasn't you know if if my wrist was hurt we were going to find something to do with the rest of the body Uh, if my ankle was hurt we're you know we're not going to do anything for that ankle but we were going to continue training and I think by keeping those people separate you know and and taking our time and not rushing the development uh, we were able to develop trust and then teach them the LSU way. Um, and that carried over into developing the culture that we had while I was there.
0: You were a part of that LSU way for, for a long time. And I've seen you present some programs uh, at SummerStrong when you, when you worked with, with Aaron Asmus and, and the program you shared at the keynote, just some of the, some of the work that you've been doing, how much would you say your programming philosophies evolved or change from when you started uh, yeah. to, to the final few years?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I was uh, blessed that I had older brothers uh, that trained um, and I learned to, you know, to do like, I, I saw, I used to see my brothers, they did some crazy stuff, but one arm barbell cleaning jerks and, one arm barbell snatches and split snatches and all this crazy stuff when I was a kid growing up and my collegiate strength coach was a former weightlifter. Um, So, you know, that is the type of program programming that I've always done. So in every program that I've always written, um, there has always been a some form of snatch or, or clean or press. Um, and I, and, you know, in athletics, uh, I, and the reason I program that way is one is because that's primarily what I've been exposed to my entire career. But two, I think those exercises when done properly uh, do a lot towards developing uh, the organism um uh, in a manner that will allow it to be more dynamic and to absorb greater forces uh, throughout the contest. And so it's not just, be, I don't program that way just because it's the only way I know how to program, but it's because I truly believe that it is the best way to train athletes for competition, the, or those athletes, you know, dynamic athletes. Um, and you know, baseball players have to be trained a little differently and tennis and golf would certainly be trained a little different, but any sport where it begins or ends with something that's explosive, um, I think it's important that you train that way. Um, so my training to finally get to answering your question, my philosophy hasn't changed a great deal over time. Um, because that's the way I think it has to be trained. Uh, there are things that I've done differently because of technologies, uh, you know, with being able, with the data that we've gotten throughout the years uh, through Tendo and other velocity-based training systems, uh, especially when we switched to Purge that had a cloud-based system where, you know, you could look at the workouts after you could just sit down and pull up each kid's workout and just delve into it like that. That, that helped a lot. Of course, GPS technology has, has changed a lot of how we ran or conditioned our players. So aspects of it has certainly changed. Uh, but the things that uh, I've done over time have, haven't changed at all.
0: Yeah, what I'm hearing, foundational principles stayed intact all throughout. And, and progress, specific programming may have evolved with some of the new advances around technology and, and, and as the game evolved as well, I'm sure. I really like the term dynamic when you're describing athleticism. I think that's a topic that comes up around Olympic lifts, where I'd say when I got into the field, you had to learn Olympic lifts because that's how you developed athletes. And now, depending on where you go, there's a little bit of a debate in the field about, you know, there's a lot of different ways to develop athletes. And I think wow. that's a fair point as well, but it's it's something that maybe coaches today need to explore both sides of that and and learn You know, learn a little bit of the history of why some of those Olympic lifts were extremely valuable for athlete programs and not just weightlifters.
1: Yeah. When, you know, when you, especially if you look at uh, the velocities that you see, and the good thing about the tendo is you could take that string and attach it to your belt. Uh, You could go out and have players hit sleds. Um, there was a lot of stuff that we used to do with the Tendo to look at how, um, how dynamic, uh, an offensive and defensive lineman are when they strike one another, um, and how explosive of a movement that that is. And then when you take that and you start, uh, looking at the different exercises and, you know, a power clean is called the power clean uh, because of the amount of force and how quickly you generate that power in the movement. And so it's really neat to look at um, the data that you get, you know, from uh, the cloud and, you know, breaking down and looking at peak velocity of a particular exercise and the amount of watts that you generate. And then you attach the tendo to a player or a ground based jammer, and you go outside and strike a, um, a sled or strike another player. And then you go do the ground based jammer, and then you come back and you do a power clean or a muscle snatch or a push press. and or a med ball throw and you see not just how, what the peak velocity is, but when you see the amount of watts that you're generating, uh, I think um, there's definitely room and a need to at least explore some of the Olympic movements. And, you know, I know people struggle with teaching it. And uh, if you can't properly teach it, uh, you probably shouldn't even attempt it uh, but they're easy to learn and uh, the muscle snatch is uh, probably a, of all the different exercises besides you know a barbell press or or overhead squat the muscle snatch once you're starting to add some momentum to the bar is one of the easiest exercises you can teach and the uh, the amount of Uh, watts that you can generate in that movement is pretty pretty phenomenal when you compare it to some of the other movements that people do um and you know here's what i used to tell young coaches is that other team lifts weights also and they recruit big strong powerful linemen and uh So when you have two players, you know, two, 220 or 325 pound offensive and defensive linemen strike one another, there is a tremendous, uh, uh, tremendous forces that are placed on the body where you're receiving that blow, just like you receive a heavy clean or you rack a heavy jerk overhead and that resulting force does a lot and how it trains the body. And so, yeah, I think there's definitely a need uh, for the exercises if you're capable of teaching. I mean, if you're not, then you need to find an alternative. Uh, And there's still a lot of good exercises out there. You know, I wouldn't, there's a lot of sports where I would not um, include, you know, the majority of the Olympic exercises in their training. Uh, but for the sport of football, I think it's important that those are there.
0: Speaking to the value of Olympic lifts and training, and you made a really great connection for velocity-based training and maybe why it's so popular today, uh, as a training method is that it does directly connect to forces generated on the field. And that, that can be measured now with new technologies, just like it can be in the weight room, uh, all right, man. I'm going to ask you, I've been hearing the rumbling of the, the Moffitt method, uh, went up on your LinkedIn page, little release release party. Yeah. Uh, what, what's the Moffat method? What, what, have, what have we been hearing about?
1: Well, so, you know, I've always wanted to do something, um, educational and, um, be able to help as many or reach as many people as possible uh, with our training philosophies. And uh, throughout the years, uh, you know, I worked with countless high schools and collegiate coaches um, in programming. And every year, at certain times, you know, Coach so and so would email me and say, hey, coach, have you, you know, uh, have you got your phase, could I take a look at your phase one program or your phase two or your phase three program for this year? You know, we've implemented it for so many years. Um, so uh, we um, we are super excited. I have teamed up with uh, Matt Bruce. Uh, Matt uh, was a um, a two-time alternate for our USA, uh, weightlifting team, Olympic weightlifting team. He was a, I want to say a five or maybe even seven time world team member. Um, he was a, a Gale Hatch weightlifter. He and Mike Casu uh, owned a company called Brute Strength, uh, and Matt had experience, uh, with, um, uh, online, uh, training protocols. And so what we have done is, uh, Matt and I teamed up with a couple of other people here in Baton Rouge. Uh, we're going to start with a podcast and, uh, I will be the host of the podcast. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, but we're going to start sometime late August, early September with the podcast. And then we are hoping to have a deliverable product via Team Builder Uh, sometime in the mid to late October. uh, We are going to target uh, primarily starting out uh, middle schools, high schools, uh, and sport organizations like, you know, uh, baseball uh, groups, soccer, lacrosse, and you know, our goal is to offer a remote training protocol, remote coaching, um, weekly uh, staff meetings, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and we want to be the most comprehensive online training resource that there is. You know, and we're going to offer both educational uh, and um, uh, everything from strength and conditioning to sp- you know, sports nutrition, sports psychology, mental health, uh, you name it. And, um, so that's what the Moffitt method is going to be, you know, and our long-term goal is, um, and, you know, we've targeted a building here in Baton Rouge because we want to have a facility here in Baton Rouge and then possibly one at home in Nashville. Um, you know, uh, so that we can train our coaches because, you know, we are going to have coaches that work for us. Uh, so, uh, we want to be able to train our coaches. Uh, we want to be able to offer uh, person in person coaching, uh, and that members of our organization can come to our facility and, and learn from our coaching staff. And so we're excited about it. You know, it's, it's something that I've always thought about doing. And, um, it was the first thing that I thought of, you know, after, you know, I got fired in December, I immediately went to work on it. And, uh, it, we've been working now for six months and we're getting close. Uh, it's, it's been a lot of work. It's been challenging, but it's also been, uh, uh, refreshing, you know, to do something different. Uh, I, and I still want to coach, uh, you know, the, the good thing about this project here is that I can, I can do this easily once that, once we get all the work done, it's going to be something easy for us to do. Um, I guess, uh, for the lack of a better term, easy, it's still going to be challenging, but we've, we feel comfortable about being able to manage it. And so I still want to coach at some point, you know, um, you know, coach a collegiate team. Uh, you know, I could do what I do. I feel like I could do it till I'm, you know, 65, 70 years old. Uh, uh, you know, if in the right, if in the right place. Uh, so that's the Moffitt method basically. Um,
0: I love that passion. I love that passion for the for the career. And you know, you, you there's no there's no finish line in sight for you. The Moffat oh, method, absolutely. it sounds it sounds really exciting. I'm excited to hear some of those podcast episodes. Yeah. I think uh <laughs> you better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh I think those will be a lot of fun. Uh and one thing you touched on a little bit there is, you know, young coach development. And yes. That's something that when I think of the LSU program over so many years, just so many interns have gone through there. You talked about finding coaches with unique skill sets that add to the program, that add to your skill set and just make the program better. You know, what are some of the qualities you look for and just some of the advice you have for young coaches that might aspire towards one of those roles?
1: Uh So one of the, you know, one of the biggest things was, and, and I still think, this today is you got to be a great communicator. You got to be able to get down on the player's level and speak to him or her in a manner that they understand it. And then you got to be able to motivate that young man or that young woman to do what it is that you want them to do. And a lot of times, especially if you're dealing with, you know, highly successful uh, people that have been successful and haven't done what you're asking them to do, uh, it's important that you're able to communicate them and convince them of the importance of training. Uh, Because in the Southeastern Conference, and I don't know how, and well, I know how it was at the level of football that I played at and I know what it's like uh, to go up against Alabama and Auburn and Mississippi and Mississippi State and Texas A&M and all those teams back to back to back along with travel. And so, you know, athletes must be trained. So you've got to have people that can communicate and motivate, number one. Um, Secondly, I look for overachievers. Uh, I look for people that played two or three different sports growing up. I look for uh, people that had done internships at other places. Uh, and that were you know um, and and i'm not saying it's it's the way it ought to be uh i'm in fact i've been very outspoken about coaches salaries and the size of staffs uh in my for my entire career uh, but we offered unpaid internships um, and that shows a level of commitment kind of like a starving artist um uh, everyone that came to Baton Rouge, we did our best to find them jobs if they wanted. Uh, the first person, I mean, the first question that we asked them in the interview process, can you financially, uh, uh, are you financially able to do this? Because, you know, we didn't want kids coming and starving to death. You know, we did everything that we could do to see to it that we were going to be able to feed them while they were in our building. Again, we tried to get them jobs uh, but the people that do that tend to be really devoted to our field. And it takes uh, a lot of devotion to be able to do this because when you start out, you know, you get there, you wake up at four 30 in the morning, you have to be there at five 30 and, you know, you spend all day doing that. Um, and then you're the, you know, when everybody's, you know, uh, cleaning up their office desk, you're out there with a leaf blower, you know, blowing the crumbs from the indoor practice field out of the weight room. I mean, it takes a huge commitment, uh, to, to be an intern. Um, and then, so through that, you learn a lot of patience and then you learn to overcome adversity and you learn a lot about yourself and, what your level of commitment is to this field. Um, And so when I looked at resumes, if you did not appear to be an overachiever, if you were not a team captain or uh, uh, the weightlifting award winner or, you know, you only started your senior year, which I think, you know, for guys that go all through their entire high school career, and they're only a starter for one year and they end up getting a scholarship that shows a lot of grit and toughness that I think is required to do this. Um, And so if you were the strength and conditioning award winner, team captain, academic all-conference or if you were all-conference as a high school player all-state and uh, I look for uh, people from um, you know that played division two and division three sports uh, whether it was baseball basketball or football it didn't matter to me but those young men and young women had to pay to play sports in college so uh I think that those type of people, in my opinion, make the best strength coaches. I'm not saying that, there, you know, if if you signed a Division One scholarship and you played five years in the NFL, that you can't coach. I'm not saying that, but I found in my time here that those people who played D two and D three were just hungrier uh, than than the other people and were able to. Sustain that effort over a longer period of time, and uh, you know, young men and young women from the Midwest, uh, people whose parents were in the military, and I could go on and on and on. Um, and I would get a resume that looked interesting, and I would contact, uh, you know, the the prospective uh, uh, intern or GA, whoever I was talking to. And uh, ask them to give me more, you know, can you, can you fill in some of these blanks here and tell me what you did when you were in high school and uh, tell me what you did between December of 2008 and August of 2009 because there's no reference to it on your resume. Uh, And then, you know, you find out that their mom was sick and they were staying at home with their mom or their dad was ill and they had to quit work to help mom with dad. And, you know, those things go a long way in, uh, you know, telling uh, the whole story about who this person is and what they're capable of of doing. I took it very serious. Uh, I took hiring extremely serious and uh, we would sit as a group and go through every resume that we had as a group and discuss each resume. And then we would divide those a stack of 50 resumes among our staff. And, you know, we would every person on the entire staff would speak to every applicant in some cases for some of these positions that we feel that's how important it was to us to make sure that. Um, that we hired the right person. And then I kept the notes from all of my interviews uh, that I did uh, in case someone else called and said, Hey coach, I'm looking for someone. Um, I need this type person. And I would go back through my notes from all these old interviews and pull out a name and say, Hey, maybe contact this person and see what you think. So uh, to me, hiring young coaches was the absolute the most important thing that I did on a daily
0: basis when you hire a coach you're giving them an opportunity an opportunity for that position but an opportunity to build on that position into their career you're looking for hunger you're looking for the ability to overcome adversity mm-hmm. and and the ability to learn you know from their experiences and build on things I think uh, those are such good advice points qualities for coaches to to think about you know, while they're going to school, before they get into that professional race where they're starting to apply for, for positions. And I, I want to ask, you know, you mentioned salaries and how yeah. uh, you've been an advocate for salaries in the profession and building value. And I think you know, as well as any, that not all strength and conditioning salaries are as good as they are in the SEC. And and especially when you're down in the D2, D3 level uh, from the NSCA we're trying to grow the profession across the board you know what advice do you have for coaches that are trying to grow the value of how strength and conditioning is viewed at their college or university or in their program you know what's your experience with that
1: yeah so you know the the first thing is I think as a group I think strength and conditioning coaches need to be nicer to each other and kinder. And, uh, you know, sometimes if you look on Twitter, some of these Twitter wars that go on between people, all it does is bring attention, a negative attention, uh, you know, to our profession. And so I think we need to try and cast in more positive light on what we do. Uh, because we you know as the the critical mass of 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 all of our coaches we are directly responsible for our reputation and and how far we're able to do this and I think we need to be organized better. Um, one of the things that that I think is really important and it helped in collegiate football coaching and basketball is that, you know, more strength and conditioning coaches need to have an agent to be there instead of trying to handle all of this uh, ourselves or just allowing the head football coach to negotiate our contracts for us. Whatever, we need more strength and conditioning coaches to be represented represented by agents, and then we need to set a better example for the young coaches. You know, as a as as a person. You know, I, I, you know, I was the type of guy that every day before I went to work, I took true serum and, um, I did, you know, I was never one to really sugarcoat or, or beat around the bush about my feelings and, and how I was going to advocate for my staff members, uh, and our department on a daily basis. And I think, um, You know, just shaking your head in agreement sometimes when inside you're you're saying to yourself, you know, I know I'm getting screwed here and uh, but I need the money and I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. That does nothing for our profession. Um, uh, Something else. And 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 I don't mean this with any disrespect to anyone, uh, but uh, and I, and I, I if you talk to any coach that has ever worked for me, they'll tell you the same thing. Uh, I'm a big believer in applying for every job that comes available. Every job that comes available, as a young coach, uh, you can't be um, you can't like pigeonhole yourself into saying I'm not going to take this job. Uh, Because I only want to be a football strength coach. That's not how you get jobs, man. That's not how you progress in this business. You You have to apply for every job that's available. And then if you're working at a job and another job comes available that's a better job, apply for that better job uh, I've learned again by watching and being a part of it. When that university, it doesn't matter who you're working for. When they get ready to fire you, they're going to fire you. They don't care. They don't care how many kids you got. They don't care what your mortgage is. They don't care what your automobile insurance is. When they, when they feel like that you are no longer a service to them, they're going to get rid of you. So I've always told all of my young coaches apply for everything and, and, this is a business decision and it's based on you and your spouse and nobody else. You're not going to hurt my feelings. you're not going to hurt you know any grown man or woman's feelings by leaving a job. You do it respectfully. okay And then if you're offered a job by somebody and then after looking at it, it's it's okay to respectfully decline someone's offer. But you can't sit back and say, I wish I had this job, yet you never do the things that are needed to get that job. Um, I told everyone, if you're coaching tennis and you want to be a collegiate strength coach in football, you coach that tennis team exactly like they're your football team. You're never going to get a football team until that tennis team does well. And, Then let's say you get promoted. Now you're doing tennis and uh, basketball or tennis and baseball or tennis and track and field. You coach those sports every day. Like it's your football team. I'm not talking about means and methods, but the same passion that a young coach is going to put into football. He needs to put that into everything he does. If, you know, so, and, I had never gotten a job and I'm blessed, but I never got a job that I applied for. Every job that I ever got was because someone had recommended me for a particular position because they knew of my work ethic that I had you know, put in at some other place. And so, although I advocate for applying for jobs, the jobs that I applied for, I never got but it was because somebody had worked with me at another place uh, and they recommended me for that job. And so, you know, I'm very passionate about this because uh, the key to being a successful strength coach is that, and it's a shame, but you have to overcome such adversity early in your career. And the only way that we're going to improve it improve it is that we're more outspoken as an organization, organizations, and then we push for higher salaries, but you just, but you have to earn it. You know, a person's rewards in life are in direct proportion to their service. But unfortunately, young coaches get discouraged because they they feel as if they're stuck in a position where they're not earning the money that you know, peers make in football or in business if you're in finance or whatever. So the only way out of that position is to apply for every job. Um, you're never going to get a job that you don't apply for. And um, and you gotta have a great resume. And then, you know, I I never was really a networker, you know, and one of the reasons, you know, I was kind of a grunter when early on in my career, you know, and I wasn't a great communicator. I learned to be, you know, to be a better communicator, but I was a grunter, you know, when I was young and I would just kind of nod my head or grunt in, in agreeance or disagree. Uh, but I learned that if you're going to move up this thing, you got to work hard, unfortunately, really hard, and then apply for everything and network. Uh, I wasn't a good networker. I'd go to a conference and I would sit and listen to every talk, but I wouldn't talk to anyone. Uh, but I find, I got my break. Uh, and I don't know if I told you this, but uh I was a high school coach in New Orleans and I had been I'd been that high school coach for six years a high school strength coach. And I coached all these different sports and the conference was in New Orleans. And I went and uh, I went to the job board and there was a grad assistant position available at the university of Tennessee. Uh, And I, uh, in the women's department and because the men's and women's departments were separate. And so I interviewed with uh, a guy named Chris DeHoda. He was the director of strength and conditioning for women. And, um, so uh, he, he said, you know, you're probably overqualified for this position, but I'm going to recommend you to the head string coach for the men's department. And so Coach John Stuckey called me and, um, and asked me if, uh, if I was going to be around Knoxville anytime soon. My brother was actually getting married in Nashville. So my wife and I drove to my brother's wedding, and then we drove over on my own dime uh, to uh, Knoxville and interviewed with coach Stuckey and, uh, ended up getting, I interviewed for a grad assistantship, but I ended up getting a full-time job while I was there. Um, and you know, so, um, and I got stories like that. Um, uh, I had an intern that worked for me for a while and then he went to work, uh, for coach hatch and, um, he said to me one day, he said, coach, uh, you know, I think it's time that I move on. And I said, have you been applying for jobs? And he said, no, sir, I'm not. Uh, I haven't. So I said, well, what are you going to do? He says, I'm going to get in my car and I'm going to get on I-10 and I'm going to head West and I'm going to stop at every university there is until I get to San Diego, California, and then I'm going to turn around and I'm going to come back. And so, um, His name is Jeff Earls and so he got in the car and he stopped uh, in Texas, you know, was one of the schools because he went through Houston and then through Dallas and he headed down to Austin and he met um, uh, Jeff Madden and walked in cold call and spoke to Jeff Madden and got a job at the University of Texas And he's never been without a job ever since. And uh, he called me and says, Coach, I got a job. And I was like, Where? He said, At the University of Texas. And I was like, Wow, man, that's awesome. And so you just got to get out there and make it happen, man. It's not going to happen because you want it to. You got to make it happen.
0: Yeah. We want to make it better for the future. We want to build a system. That's what the NSCA is to support coaches in the long term. But if you're in the game right now, you got to in a way you got to play by the rules right now and show that work ethic that you're talking about being overachiever. I like some of the, the, I like the passion. I like, I like the stories, but I like the terminology you use around being an overachiever and just showing that you have a lot of upside as a professional early in your career before it, before it really comes to fruition there are a lot of telling signs that when we see intern resumes, young coach resumes, that things that stick out. And I think that's really, uh, some positive takeaways from this episode for, for coaches listening in of how to, how to evaluate resumes when they're coming in, uh, how to, uh, what types of questions to ask, uh, candidates during interviews. There's a lot of, a lot of good stuff there. Want to, uh, Obviously, we got a lot of big things coming with the Moffitt method. What's the best way for coaches to reach out to you and get connected if they want to uh, ask you some questions?
1: Okay. So the best way right now would be to email me at TommyMoffitt5 at Uh, gmail.com. TommyMoffitt5. We also have a landing page for our business. It's the Moffitt method dot fit. Uh, and you can leave your name, address, uh, and phone number there. Um, and then on Twitter, you can DM me. Uh, I get, a, I get asked a lot of questions on Twitter, um, at Tommy Moffitt, uh, on Twitter. Um, And then so for our podcast, we're actually going to have an Ask Coach uh, portion of our uh, podcast. So I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be fun. Uh, But yeah, anybody that has any questions, uh, don't hesitate to email me. Um, uh, I'll do the best I can to help you in any way, you know, and that's the main thing. Again, it goes back to the golden rule, man, doing the others is, you know, you would do unto them and um or they would do that you would have them do unto you and just you know treat people right and uh so just if there's anything that i can do if anybody has any questions or you want to debate something i don't care uh give me
0: a shout uh because i've got nothing else really to do uh, <laughs> I love it. No, Tommy Moffitt, 34 year coaching veteran, 22 of those years at LSU now kicking off the Moffitt method. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate it. To everybody tuning in, we appreciate you being with us. We also appreciate Sorenex exercise equipment, a sponsor on this podcast. Have a great day. Hi coaches. I'm Leanne Blinn, the
1: 2022 NSCA college strength conditioning coach of the year. You just listened to an episode
0: of the NSCA Coaching Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to hear important conversations about the strength conditioning profession. Don't miss an upcoming episode. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And comment on some of the highlights at NSCA's
1: Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. You can also hear full episodes on the
0: NSCA's newest channel, nsca.tv.